0: We're keen on pipeline and we have some unique sort of things in terms of how we generate pipeline in quarter, out of quarter, because of the diversity of our business. So, one of the first things we learned is there is no one answer for pipeline. So, a lot of our legacy reporting has been hey, we generated this much pipeline and we have this much coverage. Well, when you start to get into the layers of our business, our commercial business versus enterprise business, and the type of product we're selling and some of the selling cycles and the way the consumer, the customers want to engage with us. Well, all of those things play into this pipeline in universe, if you will. And each sub-universe has its own answer.
1: Welcome to Revenue Insights. Every week, we'll be joined by revenue leaders from some of the most successful and highest growing companies. Together, we explore how they built their revenue teams, the journeys that they've been on and the lessons they have learned along the way. Revenue Insights is brought to you by Ebster. We're a revenue intelligence platform designed to help revenue teams to build more pipeline, close more deals and retain more customers. Hello there. You are listening to Revenue Insights. This week, my guest is the Vice President of Sales Operations at Insight Software. Sandeep Wachowray has been solving complex problems for over a decade, having spent many years at Dell working across sales and finance operations, as well as supply chain management and more. Sandeep, thank you for sharing some of your time. Absolutely. Glad to be here. So first things first, because I know that you've kind of more recently joined insight software and then spent a lot of time at Dell previously for everyone at home listening could you give a bit more context around your career today and how you've got to where you are today
0: yeah absolutely it's I would call it a very typical background in terms of revenue operations or sales finance operations because I started in the back office function at Dell I was part of the data warehouse and IT building reports and analytics and as I like to say, my career has been swimming upstream to get closer to sales and customers. So in my about 23-year career, about half of it has been in supply chain and IT and services sort of things. And then the next half, which became really exciting, is when I got into the sales and finance and operations type of things. And it's been, it's been a great ride, and I think coming from the back office and starting at the value chain there has given me a really interesting perspective in terms of. How things flow downstream, and it's pretty exciting to take some of the concepts that I learned across the operations world, in supply chain world, and, and apply those in the more front end part of the value chain. Even though it's a part of part art, part science, but having that opportunity to apply science is uh, really, really interesting. So it's been a great ride.
1: I'm fascinated to know perhaps what some of those learnings were that you took from supply chain and then brought into your role within operations
0: yeah, I think the first thing sort of the supply chain teaches you is is ability to organize around the problem stadium right what are, what is the problem you're trying to solve and it's not agnostic of the frameworks you can use lean six sigma, you can use short disciplines of execution. It doesn't matter what framework you use but it's really important to anchor, on, anchor and validate the business problem. So that sort of was my first takeaway is be extremely clear. And it can't be painful at times because people have the desire to just start running and then asking where we're going. But pausing and validating the problem statement is really important. You sort of really get grounded, especially at Dell supply chain, world. you get really grounded in terms of validating the problem, making sure everybody agrees to the same problem statement. So that's one piece. And the second is the alignment, the alignment of the leadership, the alignment of the teams towards that common goal. Because very often you see, you start to deviate from the core problem and you start to bring in a functional notion of things. And then that's when you, then one big project turns into multiple best projects with different objectives. And then you start to get this diffusion of resources and efficiency, we should all know So we want everybody to be aligned and centered as you get into the execution phase. So that second piece is that around the alignment itself, or alignment of leaders, alignment of the teams, once you have alignment. problem. And then the third is just an ongoing cadence of some kind to make sure you're truly making progress. Once you, that's part of that cadence, you define your success measures and It's really important to think through what does success look like. And that's another thing I learned is you start into something and then you kind of say, well, are we here yet or we're not? So getting super descriptive about, okay, this is what we define success to be is important. And then having a cadence around, are we really making progress there or do we need to make some adjustments? And Mm -hmm. Those are some of the things. It's just that structured approach is sort of what I took from my daily supply chain. And I try to apply those because even though you're not manufacturing widgets, per se, in revenue world, you're still solving a problem. You still need a team. You still need to think about processes and technology and how do they all merge. So I find that pretty interesting to apply some of those principles without really breaking out the process handbook, right? You don't have time for that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And it sounds like quite a natural progression from the supply chain world into sales operations. And so just before we kind of go a little bit deeper into it, could you just give a little bit more context around your role as VP of sales operations at Insight Software and kind of your responsibilities that you have from the team that you oversee?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So Insight Software, I joined about fifteen months ago. Where we just completed our five years. We celebrated our five-year anniversary worth. I for growth financial reporting SaaS company. So our solutions sit on top of ERPs, and we provide all kinds of reporting for our CFOs. We also have some exciting new products around embedded analytics that we're starting to market to the CIOs and CPOs of the world, where they integrate into end users' applications. So we're all about making sense of your business data, your data and giving you insights without having to spend a lot of time in that data set. So that's what we're all about. So I joined here and it's been really building out and scaling our sales operations function, which is front part of the revenue, and focused on the front part of the cycle. So our CPQ processes, our critical sales processes around finance, uh, forecasting, quota compensation processes, those are all and the interesting thing about Insight is we've done 22 acquisitions in our five-year world, which is, by any average, there are a lot. So always evolving our processes and our operations infrastructure. So it's been super exciting to get in and be part of the growth, but also think about, how you build this, but then quickly scale it as the next integration is coming around. So that's been the focus of BI and data has been a big component of how do we have predictive data to make decisions quickly so we're laying out a lot of that infrastructure and it's been pretty interesting and closely working with marketing and product teams and just look at that whole go to market engine is it firing on our cylinders I and mean, what can we do to improve it as we achieve as we look make progress towards some of our growth, very ambitious growth targets
1: amazing i'd love to break that down a little bit into perhaps What were some of the biggest challenges that you were facing when you came in 15 months ago that you've been working to overcome? Because it felt like there was a lot there, right? As you're starting to build it out, so could you perhaps narrow down on perhaps some of the, maybe not the biggest issues, but the most important critical issues that you're trying to overcome? Yeah,
0: I think I'll start with people because you have this very exciting, high growth company and. So the problem statements were pretty clear in many ways, and it was about getting to a base level of capability that allows our reps to exit, right? So the first thing was building out a team. We had some great individuals that were either here or came through some of the acquisitions, and everybody brought something great to the table. How do we kind of harness their potential and put them in an organization structure where we have these experts, These experts together, and they're going narrow and deep, versus doing 15 things because that's how they're used to in a smaller company. So as we grow, that item structure was really important. So what we did is we organized ourselves into a BI team and a data team that they were all focused on data, making, providing predictive insights, making sure that what we're looking at has quality. That's sort of one big. That's one structural pillar. The second pillar was around our Salesforce. We are all in on Salesforce in terms of we do CPQ there, we do billing there. So, and because of these acquisitions, the data within Salesforce and the quoting motions are pretty complex, sometimes more complex than they need to be. So we needed to take a look at that quoting motion, and that was sort of the second pillar. And the quota and compensation, other pillar where we have this multitude of compensation plans inherited from all the acquisitions. We needed to create some of an inside software philosophy and really simplify it for the reps so it doesn't take a PhD to understand your complex. So those are some of the big things we started. We had some great individuals. We brought in some from the outside with very specific expertise and knowledge, and more importantly, somebody who was wanting to be part of a hyper-growth company like this. That's standard. That was the priority Also, connect building partnership with our sales leaders and our sales teams, truly understand what their pain points are so that whatever we're working on really resonates. And sort of that four earlier structural approach we talked about, just use that same approach to validate on some of these opportunities and then put the team and the, the tools behind it. That's kind of been the journey for 15 months, but there's a lot more to go.
1: Just a quick reminder, and then we will be right back to the show. At Revenue Insights, our goal is to share how top-performing revenue leaders build predictable, efficient, go-to-market teams. Every week, we speak to the brightest minds, and every quarter, we release the latest findings from our analysis of billions of dollars in pipeline. If you don't want to miss out, sign up to our newsletter at ebster.com forward slash newsletter dash signup. That's ebster.com forward slash newsletter dash signup. The link to make that a little bit easier for you will be in the show notes of this episode wherever you're listening. See you there. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that actually kind of leads on to what my next question was going to be, which is for the next 12 months ahead, what are the biggest priorities for, for you guys? What are you now trying to get your hands around?
0: Yeah, I think that's uh, it's a great timing because of our planning cycle. We're just kicking off our annual planning cycle. So that's been as the forefront for mine is it's continued investment in our infrastructure. So our tech stack, our data and our recruiting, how do we simplify? How do we make it easy for our reps to get what they want to get, as well as anybody that's part of the revenue engine, right? And we find that when we have that collective visibility across the entire chain, then the decisions are made faster and the decisions are made in alignment of all the functions. So. That's been the big focus around continued investment in our infrastructure. We just built a data warehouse that I'm excited about. So we start to get some really cool integrated reporting across customer success, across sales, across marketing. And to me, that's super foundational for you to have that 360 view. Uh, the second piece is around just learning and development for our teams. Because as you get a lot of tools and data that it pours thrown at you, do they all fit into what you're trying to do day-to-day, right? So I tend to think a lot about the experience of a rep, the experience of a leader, what is their day-to-day and how does it fit? versus this, vice versa, where, hey, you got this great tool, make it work, right? So we need to look at it from a rep's perspective. and So that's been sort of the interesting, how do we do that? Right? How do we invest in their learning? How do we simplify things? while keeping them focused on our targets and move in unison. Those are some of the big things we're talking about. So there's a lot there, but uh, hopefully that that makes sense.
1: Yeah, absolutely. The bit that I wanted to really pull out, because it resonates with what we were kind of talking about on a pre-show where we had a chance to kind of catch up, which is around, I mean, you guys as a business specialize in reporting and analytics. And as you kind of mentioned there, it's around there's always a danger with reporting and analytics of analysis paralysis and you've got so much data and so much insight as like, what on earth do I do with this? So I'm really interested to touch on a little bit more around the point that you're making around simplifying that for your sellers for what they want and I'm really interested to hear from you kind of what is the insight that they want in their day-to-day and what are you finding that's working?
0: Yeah, that's a great question and it, it's a you have to center it around the critical processes that the reps do day to day, right? So what is it that they do day to day? They do prospecting, they do coding, right? They do follow-ups with the customers and they're planning for a way to achieve their number. So we're, we're starting to get into these planning sections where we start with those key processes, forecasting, coding, pipeline, build. And underneath that process, we're thinking about what are the set of skills that you need to have, right? What are the tools that you need to use? And what are the data sets that you need to make some of those decisions? And then we're sort of doing an assessment of, okay, skills. We're going to pr five, and these two are going to need an enablement learning plan and get the skill to a spec that we need it to be, right? In terms of tools, we're looking at things like, do we have the same data in 10 places which tends to be the case, right? I'll use an example of the account data set. So for the same customer, you can have multiple records in your database. Well, which one you know is right? And sometimes that's just reps' tribal knowledge, their affinity with the systems, or we just get lucky. And in the world of operations, you don't want to get lucky, right? You can't count. So how do you simplify where a rep is trying to call on a customer When they get into Salesforce, they are presented with the one and only golden record, so to speak. So that there's no ambiguity or there's no time spent in knowing where which one they need to use. So we're partnering with our IT teams and our enterprise data governance teams and the sellers says, okay, this is what we see. What is the way in That's talking a lot about AI, and that's a good use case for AI, where you can configure some rules and quickly sift through some thousands and thousands of records and come up with something that you can work with, right? So that's a big piece. The second piece is around just the skews. We got 82 products within our portfolio, which is great. We get coverage in multiple industries and multiple ERPs, but that also creates sometimes a challenge in terms of skew proliferation where you're trying to sell this one product and you got 15 skews that are pulling up. So that impacts our reps' ramp time sometimes. So we're simplifying it from that grouping motion. That's one big piece that uh, we're looking at. And same thing with the data reports where our reps tell us, just give me one thing, just tell me which one I want to use. And then that's sort of what we're creating is call it a cheat sheet or a playbook or a handbook that says, you're trying to do coding, here is where you go. Here is the data you need for accounting intelligence, Here is where you go for your forecasting, and this is how you do forecasting, right? It's a sort of combination of people, process, technology, where you got skills, you got data, and you got tools, but we have to be more deliberate than we have been to make sure it truly gets used in the way we want to use it because reps are asking for that
1: type of clarity. And could you perhaps give, you mentioned kind of three key areas for your reps around forecasting, quoting and, and pipeline build, could you perhaps give an example of from perhaps one of those kind of a deeper dive into what some of those examples look like? So from the, like the reporting that they've got set up for them, what this process looks like off the back of it, you mentioned like the enablement and learning plan. So what does that look like perhaps from one end to the other? Yeah,
0: I think that's we can probably take pipeline because we're spending a lot of time on pipeline right now. So,
1: Yeah, absolutely. Great. We,
0: like any other organization, we're, we're keen on pipeline. And we have some unique sort of things in terms of how we generate pipeline, in-quarter, out-of-quarter, because of the diversity of our business. So one of the first things we learned is there is no one answer for pipeline. So... A lot of our legacy reporting has been, hey, we generated this much pipeline and we have this much coverage. Well, when you start to get into the layers of our business, our commercial business versus enterprise business and the type of product we're selling and some of the selling cycles and the way the consumer, the customers want to engage with us. Well, all those things play into this pipeline universe, if you will. And each sub-universe has its own answer. So that's kind of what we started honing in on is we can't have a target, a macro-level target. We need to get to this couple of clicks down into this world and start to think about what is the true coverage we need. So that's where the, we have a great partnership with marketing. We've got some really smart people that sort of really know those motions. And we're, we're starting to get into, okay, this is what we need you, the rep to drive for this particular product. So uh, getting into that type of specificity. So a lot of that front part of that pipeline exercise was analysis, like, okay, we're driving to this number. Are we getting the results and sort of break it down into why are we not getting the results, right? In some areas we're compensating in certain areas, which is great, but then does that mean, is that aligned to what we're driving? So understanding that analysis was kind of the first part and the second piece is then our pipeline generation and what the cadence we drive on a week-to-week basis. Are we driving the right visibility for the management team against those targets? Are we celebrating people that are doing it right? Right? So that's where you get into some of the people. So we, we instituted some mechanisms where we're recognizing people that are doing it the right way and are consistently at the top of the leaderboard. So we're not just... Uh, celebrating the coda attainment leaderboard, but now you have pipeline attainment leaderboard. And you start to sort of play those things together. If you fast forward a little bit ahead, there could be this notion of can pipeline be just as important and as part of your incentives, right? So that's something we're starting to think about again. It's it's just this is kind of the ISW insight software sort of construct and Some teams probably have done it, but for us, that's kind of where we are, is, look, pipeline is just as important. It's a leading indicator of booking, not just the number, but the quality, right? So in terms of skill, we did that assessment, and now we're going to go into specific and get that enablement done on those particular skills, is how do you qualify a lead, right? Because in our world of reps, we find different degrees of competency in terms of qualifying.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's there, in my language, I would refer to them almost as like the leading indicators of pipeline. But for you guys, could you perhaps give an example of what a few of those are for you? So you've got pipeline generated as a lagging indicator at the top, but then there are naturally, and I believe this is what you're referring to, is those metrics that that are leading into that, that really you're going, okay, we can see that this is leading to pipeline at the other end, so let's build enablement plans off the back of it. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I think the software leading indicators were around the LQR marketing qualified lead to SQL, right? That there is the number of marketing qualified leads themselves, that's an indicator. But well, we see that there's a the handoff that takes place between marketing and sales. And LQR to SQL, that's a really important metric that we learn. So how do you look at that conversion again by product, by region, by customer type, not in aggregate, right? So we're starting to create this very granular plan of here is the grouping of products that behave the same way. So therefore, the pipeline plan could be similar for these products because we're selling to the same customer profile. So what is the MQR to SQL conversion? That's one. The other one, which is is reactive in the sense we're looking at it after the fact, but to me, it's a leading indicator of the future is the slipped pipeline. Because we tend to focus a lot on the pipeline generated and the conversion and the bookings, right? But in certain areas, this, the pipeline slippage can give you some really interesting insights. Is it rev behavior? Is it product not meeting customers' expectations? Is it truly the macro environment where they're not willing to make the commitment? And so... Unfortunately, there isn't a lot of tracking in kind of off-the-shelf systems around slip deals. Like we have to get into deal-by-deal basis and really learn those patterns. So we just picked up an effort around the slipped pipeline that said, how much should we expect to slip? Because it is going to slip. That's the normal part of our business. But is it slipping for the right reason? Are the reps and managers having a conversation around that in the week? in their VP one-on-one, right? And are we making sure that that's truly re- slipping for the right reason? So what are those reasons? And then how do we drive through a combination of tools and process and visibility to those data where you say, yep, it's always these three people tend to have the most. Okay, that's a behavior issue. Let's go fix it. We are seeing more slippage on this particular product. So it's clearly there's something happening with that product. We were starting to lack in features. Could be a competitor is running a super aggressive campaign that we're losing out on. So we tend to talk, in the past, we talked about it as win loss, right? But I think the slip pipeline is truly sort of this goldmine of information that can be a leading indicator to overall win loss. Because are you just taking the hand down the road or are you truly losing? But that helps and does the pipeline is.
1: Yeah, it's such an interesting point, um, particularly on deal slippage. We ran our recent analysis, and I think from what we analyzed is something like 39% of deals have slipped. That's an all-time high based on as long as we've been running this analysis. And so it's always been an ongoing challenge. And what was fascinating to me as you were talking about it was really the acceptance of it, as opposed to there's an inevitability that we're never going to be able to stop it right i don't think we're ever going to be able to get to the point where deal slippage is zero percent but it's what can we learn from that and then also i wonder whether it is gonna whether for you guys it will lead into the point of how do we start to prevent this and what are the characteristics of a type of deal um we've seen deals like this slip in the past and we're seeing another one come in now Almost in a preventative way, look at it from that perspective, and sharing that insight with your your sellers then of this is probably going to slip. We've seen this before.
0: Yeah, exactly. And that, that's it. You hit the nail on the head. There is it's. How do we get diligent about the deals, right? And if you think about deal desk and the evolution of where the deal desk concept goes, deal desk when in its infancy was about okay, I'm just gonna PM this deal and just call meetings and get things done, but my last role before this is where that's where I see the deal desk heading is how can we say, deal, deals like this, kind of like Amazon, where you go and say, customers like you bought this product. So, deals like these, they take this long, they tend to have these three exceptions, and they're likely to slip two times. And the average slip time is 40 days. If we can start to get that type of intelligence on a deal, I believe we can put our resources. Allocate our resources more efficiently and impact the win rate directly. Right, so we, I've seen this play out in a smaller scale, in a different scale. But I feel this is something that can happen at every company if you if you get disciplined about it and have the infrastructure to support it, and of course, sales leadership commitment to investigating
1: it. Yeah, absolutely, and it's that- could that be an area where potentially businesses can start to look to leverage something like AI was in the CRM or was in the tech stack as a whole because of the sheer amount of data that it can work through and it can learn from to obviously then be splitting out that information at the end?
0: Absolutely. And then Dell, where my last role was, setting up for Build Desk, and that's kind of what we did is because the velocity and the models, deals are so unique that you almost need a custom algorithm. To really make sense, and this is where we have in the tech stack, there are AI-based the scoring. Right, every tool we claim have a deal scoring. The challenge you run into is, oh, what is the algorithm-based of? It tends to be this proprietary black box. So, how do I drive actions against it? Because the reps aren't going to do something and say, hey, "This tool says the score is this, therefore you should do this," like they want a little bit more than that. I would want a little bit more than that. So it's if you have the resourcing or if you're looking for an AI use case, to me, that's a great use case because you can do that relatively quickly. If you only have the data from CRI, you already have the variables that you know are going to be indicating and that are dependent on where the deal slippage and the win rate dependent on. So that Recommend everybody sort of do some of that, and you will be amazed how quickly it can be stood up in this technology world and how quickly it'll start to give you operational insights. So that's, and then you kind of, so in my previous role, we came out with sort of a deal complexity score, and it was just a way to say this deal is super straightforward, you know, doesn't sleep much, customer is ready, and there's the higher the score goes, that meant you have operational challenges, you have. Of customers that are going to ask for a lot of exceptions, right? Or you're head to head on a competition where it's just going to challenge you in more ways. So then that just allowed our teams to put their resources. We have our best reps on most complex deals, which tend to be your biggest money makers, and they're the ones who make the number. Are leaders putting more time on those complex deals versus some of those similar deals? It just starts to give you little bit of a map, if you will, on how to, where to put your focus. So I think it's a great idea. Big fan of it. Seen it play out a bit. I think can be done on a wider scale.
1: I'm fascinated to dig into a little bit more around, you mentioned earlier around learning and development and the role that that plays. And what you mentioned there around like a deal score and also the deal complexity score is really interesting because it's really this marriage of both the data and the insights that you're being able to pull. But also, I'm really intrigued then around the enablement side of it. You just know there where the challenge is, okay, we've got the score, but what do I do with it? And I'm really fascinated by what it looks like and perhaps an example from something that you've rolled out of how it's gone from, we've got this data, we've got this insight. Now, here's how we're going to roll it out and perhaps the impact that that had. Yeah, absolutely
0: no I I can show you a lot of scars from that sort of taking that and <laughs> making it connecting to day-to-day because the first pitch was a failure. It did not resonate with our sales teams because we presented it as, hey, this is a new analytics. This is a new report. It's gonna give you this score. And they go, okay, I just, by the time we're talking, I have 10 reports in my inbox, So it's number 11. So we said, okay, this did not clearly resonate. And so what do we need to do? And we sort of took a step back and say, well, how do we appeal to the humans, human side of things, right? As humans, what do we like to do? We like to win, right? We like to fulfill our promises that we make, right? And the third is the recognition that right? we wanna see ourselves when we win to be recognized. So we sort of created a new enablement path that was around winning more. This is gonna help you win more, right? Then the second piece was, this is gonna allow us to make promises to our customers that we can actually keep. That it's gonna make you represent the company and deliver a quality deal. And it's actually going to take less time than normal, right, when we, because we can go faster. We already know all the roadblocks and we can anticipate and move faster. And then we started, we have this leaderboard around the complexity score like little to win and we implemented that. So, When we took that approach and they saw that, oh, it's gonna help me win more, fulfill my quota, and I can spend, as eaters, I can spend more time on the biggest deals than it resonated. The other piece was the collaboration. We said, look, this is iteration one. So when I bring you the data, I'm not gonna bring you the data for the entire company. I'm gonna bring you data for yours. So it was super customized to their deals that they could resonate, they could identify. And then, Based on their inputs, we were open to making tweaks. So they started, they have this collaboration, Like the score being entirely drive everything. They had an input. So that part was also important in terms of getting their buy-in. But then once we got in, then we were on the highway. We had double digit increases in rewrites in six months. And the operation infrastructure was much more efficient because of this anticipation, because it wasn't just for the sales teams, our ops teams, our marketing teams were looking at that data, anticipating the challenges and driving action plans against it. So it sort of became this shared
1: intelligence bank that we all could use and, and be better at what we all want is with more revenue. That's amazing. And I suppose this all ties into this idea of like how exactly do we increase our velocity across the board, right? And what has perhaps been one of the learnings that you've taken? From that experience forward into future initiatives.
0: Yeah, in my personal life, I'm a gadget guy. Like I like to cook, and I like to have every kitchen gadget important. And I, early in my career, I was tend to be that way in terms of works. Like, oh, this tool does this, and it's great, and we should get it. So, as I as I at this stage of my career, I tend to think more in terms of experience. So rep experience, employee experience, my team's experience, right? We all have a lot of noise in our lives with everything that's going on. So probably the number one lesson is really just have the experience head on when it comes to evaluating new tools, new processes, or any change for that matter, because it just gives you a different perspective on things and how does it fit into the experience, right? That's sort of, that's, I think, one key thing that I look for. The second thing is kind of using the analogy of a highway or each change is a speed bump, right, that you're putting in. You could be putting in that speed bump because you're in the neighborhood and you have kids playing, so you should put that speed bump and it justifies. In the professional world, that speed bump could be a financial diligence or a legal compliance item, so that absolutely is required to be there. But on the flip side, are we putting in a speed bump that doesn't need to be there, right? And that could be going into two tools to do parts of the same thing, or it could be filling out a new form, or it could be an extra approval that perhaps you don't need. So when you sort of put a premium on thinking about it, am I introducing a speed bump or am I introducing a ramp that allows me to go faster? Those type of things kind of help in terms of deciding where to go. Because the temptation of buying this new tool or the temptation of putting a new approval, it's pretty strong and it may feel right, may feel like you need it, but you just have to pause and double click on it.
1: Just a quick reminder, and then we will be right back to the show. At Revenue Insights, our goal is to share how top performing revenue leaders build predictable, efficient, go to market teams. Every week, we speak to the brightest minds and every quarter, we released the latest findings from our analysis of billions of dollars in pipeline. If you don't want to miss out, sign up to our newsletter at ebster.com forward slash newsletter dash signup. That's ebster.com forward slash newsletter dash sign up. The link to make that a little bit easier for you will be in the show notes of this episode wherever you're listening. See you there. Yeah, I'm very curious to because I completely know what you mean. Particularly with an organisation the size of yours, how do you evaluate then the impact that, that speed bump, as you put it, is going to have on your teams? Because obviously, I didn't quite catch how many are within that team itself, but even for. One might love it, right? And then the others, they just say, like, oh, God, what is this like? More admin. I hate this. I'd love to hear from your experience, like how you evaluate that and how you're making sure they are getting the best experience.
0: Yeah, absolutely. The word inside is 3,000 strong. And uh, probably, so it's a large organization that has all these multiple standard functions. So I think the big thing is around collaboration before you do a change. So we're learning about. How you drive that change? So we have some forums. We have one for our operations team where we have leaders from every part of the operations that get together and look at evaluating change. So rather than the function being able to come up with the change and implement the change and then having others react, we are going to respond versus react where we say, okay, why are we making this change? What's the rationale? And... What are the cons that are challenges that we're going to introduce? We're doing that upfront and just being diligent. There's nothing unique about it. It's just a matter of having that conversation ahead of time and evaluating across every function. So that way we're going in with our eyes wide open. If it is going to impact reps or in a negative way, we want to be able to tell them there is a goodness for the company. There is a reason we're doing this and they tend to be on work. So it's a matter of that cross-functional collaboration is key to have a, almost a business case, if you will, right? This is the problem. this is what it's going to
1: introduce and just being diligent about the impact across the value chain. Perfect. And so, final question for you. What is one book that you would recommend to other revenue and operations leaders?
0: Well, how? I tend to have quite a few, but there is one that I go back to quite a bit. It's called The Slow, the Psychology of Optimal Experience. It's by Nelly Csikszentmihalyi. Uh, it's a long, foolish name. Yeah, I got that right. But uh, nice. he's a Hungarian psychologist and passed away recently. But he wrote this book around when you say that you're in the zone or you, know, you enjoy doing something, you don't have this concept of time, right? You kind of lose yourself in doing something. So he did this research around painters and workless artists, and he sort of came out with this notion of, there is a zone in terms of your mental state. And how can you find that, that in your day to day, the book is written more from an individual standpoint, but I find that I can apply it at a work in terms of, so a good example is goal setting. So his example is if you're a tennis player and you're playing tennis with somebody, if you play with Federer, you're not going to be motivated because right, just, that's just not a fair fight. But you enjoy playing with somebody who's just slightly better than you, right? Because then you feel you have a chance. So in our work setting, could we apply that concept? So when it comes to setting goals for individuals or setting goals for projects, Are we setting them up where they're motivated even in the quota and the compensation work? You could apply that in any part where are they going to enjoy chasing that goal because it's it's winnable and it stretches them, right? And, And that makes it fun for them. So it's sort of a, it's one concept that I look at. So I tend to go back to that part of it, both for personal reasons as well as work reasons because it's got so many nuggets and if you haven't read it, definitely work, read. So just you know, getting this concept of the flow and, and being able to apply some of those things. Because work is hard and, and it can be challenging since so you have this concept of fun or how do we get people in the zone? I think a lot of good things can happen. I've experienced it myself in my career when there were projects that were fulfilling and the goal was a little difficult. I was most motivated and most focused.
1: I love that. I've not heard of that before, but it, I think the probably the testament to it is I'm very familiar with the concept because I would know it like a flow state. Yes. That state that you get into when you're doing something that is compelling and fulfilling. And before you know it, you spent two hours on it and you look at the clock and it's yeah, kind of like, I don't know where the time has gone. Yeah,
0: exactly.
1: It's almost like the old adage of uh, time flies when you're having fun. Right. And I think that, that t- pulls from the same concept.
0: It does. And that's the beauty of it is like when I started reading it, I was like, yeah, I know this. I feel this. And what he's been able to do is put that in a scientific framework and mm-hmm. give you some very structured ways that you can apply for it, look for it, versus just being it happening on a random Right.
1: Uh, absolutely. So the- it's been an absolute pleasure chatting to you today. And I think we really just started to scratch the surface of, of what you guys are doing. So for anyone that's listened, uh, perhaps they have um, questions or want to connect off the back of it, where can they find you?
0: Absolutely. LinkedIn is the best place to go. I'm, I'm active there. I read a lot and I follow a lot of individuals. I love how many great thinking minds are out there. I'm always learning from them. So I would love for... Anyone that's going to connect on LinkedIn, brainstorm on some ideas or chat, connect, because I'm always looking to learn.
1: Amazing. Well, I'll make sure to include a link to your LinkedIn, as well as to your book, Recommendation Flow, down in the show notes below. So Sandeep, thank you so much again for your time and to everyone that's listened to this episode. We'll catch you next week.
0: All right. Thank you, Lee. Appreciate you having me. Bye-bye.
1: Pleasure's all mine. Thanks for listening to Revenue Insights. If you want to learn more, subscribe to our newsletter and we'll deliver every episode straight to your inbox. If you have any questions, feel free to connect with us on LinkedIn. Our links will be in the episode notes. See you next week.